0: let's turn in our Bibles to James chapter 1. James chapter 1, you'll find our reading on page 1011 of the Pew Bibles in front of you if you'd like to make use of those. We're finding, I think, uh, especially beginning last week, that the letter of James is not an easy letter. It's not necessarily difficult to study and understand. It's a little bit more difficult to preach. It's not all that difficult to... To hear and get the sense of what James is trying to say, but I'll tell you what makes it really hard. It makes it really hard because it it challenges us and it gets into our comfort zone and does what God's Word is supposed to do. And I want to just kind of warn you, (laughs) I guess, at the beginning of our time together this morning that this is going to be a difficult one, even as last week was. But it is always good when God's people submit to God's word and allow it to change our lives. So, with that in mind, let's read James chapter 1, verses 19 through 25. This is God's word Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Why don't we pray before we dive in? Father, we are so grateful that You have given us Your Word that you have not left us on our own to sort of feel around in the darkness to try and figure out who you are, what you're like, what you have done for us, and what you require of us as your people, but that you have revealed everything that we need for life and for godliness between the two leather-bound covers of our Bibles. And so as we come to you this morning, we come to you expectantly and eagerly. We want to hear from you. But not only that, we want you to give us hearts that long to obey. We pray that you would transform us, that you'd make us like your Son, that your Word would wound in order to make us whole. Father, we need your help. Give us understanding and give us grace. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Two families. Two families decide to set out on a mission to build the home of their dreams. Two families purchase land after saving up money so as not to take a financial burden on that they can't bear. Two families go out and seek out the permits needed and necessary in order to begin building. Two families meet with contractors and construction companies to figure out the exact plan for their home. Two families begin to build the home of their dreams. But at that point, these two families' stories begin to diverge. Because on the one hand, one family, after building their home, moves into their home and begins to enjoy life together. They finally arrived. This is what they've been longing for their entire lives together. On the other hand, the second family, having done everything that the first family had done, moves into their house only to find after a couple of weeks of living there, they built on one of those famous Pennsylvania sinkholes, and their house is destroyed. Now you'll know that that's an adaptation of a story that Jesus himself told as he closes out the Sermon on the Mount. He says that there are two types of builders, one wise and one foolish. The wise builder is the one who hears my words, Jesus says, and does them. The foolish builder, on the other hand, is the one who hears my words, again, this is Jesus, and does not do them. Hearing and doing. And here in the passage in front of us in the letter of James, we find that what James is doing is he's expanding on that thought from his half-brother Jesus, and he's applying what he says here, not simply to the Sermon on the Mount, but to the Scriptures as a whole. I want you to just take a survey with me of the passage as you have your Bible out in front of you, and notice the different ways, beginning in verse 18 even, that James describes Scripture. He describes it as the word of truth in verse 18. It is the implanted word, verse 21. It is simply the word, verses 22 and 23. And it is the perfect law and the law of liberty in verse 25. All of the Scriptures here, James takes up and places before us. All of the Scriptures as they point to and find their fulfillment in and then flow from the person and work of Jesus. It is at one time the Word of Truth which gives us new birth, and it is at the next the Word which sustains our new life in Christ. The way in is the way on. And that way is found within the pages of Scripture. Now it's important for us just to see before we even understand the main thrust of what James says here, that we're coming on the heels of James speaking to us of our new birth in Christ. So that salvation in Jesus always precedes Christians' Being instructed morally. This goes back all the way to the Exodus when God says through Moses, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. Having been born again by the word of truth, James now looks at us, he applies the message of Jesus to us, and he tells us this God's word must be received and obeyed to have its saving effect in our lives. It must be received and obeyed to have any saving influence in our lives. Now, I want to take that sentence, and I want to use that as the structure, the outline for the message this morning. And the first thing that I want us to see together is that we must receive the word. That's verses 19 to 21. Receive the Word. Now, whatever we might say about this paragraph, I want you to notice that the main commandment that James is driving toward in this entire paragraph is receive with meekness the implanted Word. Receive it. That's our first step when it comes to the Bible. We have to receive it. That is to me to say we have to take it to ourselves. We have to accept it. We're called to welcome it as the Word of God. We're called to pour over it, to devote our lives to it, to listen carefully to it. Receive it. But it is not enough for James simply to say, Receive the Word. Because he's not necessarily concerned with simply saying receive the Word. He's more concerned with the way in which you and I receive the Word. Now, you'll know as well as I do that there's a way of listening without really hearing. Or if you like the other way around, there's a way of hearing without really listening. And we've all had that experience when we're speaking to someone where we have to pause in the middle of our our conversation and say, are you even listening to a word that I've said? There's a way to hear and not listen or listen And not here. And there's a way to receive the word without truly receiving it. And so, for James, in the passage in front of us, he gives us two things that must be true of us before we even open our Bibles. And those two things are preparation and posture. Preparation and posture. He talks to us first about preparation. I want you to see again verse 19. Know this, mark this. Underscore this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to anger. Now at the practical level, it's very easy to get at what James is saying. We're supposed to listen up and button up. Start listening and stop talking. But at the heart of it, what lies beneath the tendency for each one of us to be quick to speak and slow to listen is the issue of anger. And so how does that work? Well, I want you to understand if, from your own life that when you're angry, the very last thing on your mind is listening, isn't it? If you're angry with someone who's in front of you and you're having a conversation with them, you're not seeking to listen. You're, you're waiting for your opportunity to speak. Normally with a harsh tone and maybe some choice words. And when the other person is speaking, all you're doing in that moment is constructing your rebuttal. Or maybe that's just me. But the Proverbs talk about this all of the time, this, this connection that exists between anger and being quick to speak. Proverbs seventeen twenty seven: Whoever restrains his words has knowledge... And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. So restraining my words and having a cool spirit are united in this proverb. See, the problem with anger is that anger puts two things in our hands. It gives us earplugs and a microphone. And if the goal for all of us is to hear from the Lord, then anger will never do us any good. And when you listen to this passage, it almost sounds at first blush that James is picturing someone who's angry with the Lord. I need to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger so to hear from the Lord. But it might just be, and probably is the case, that James is picturing people who are mad at one another. Because you know, as well as I do again from personal experience, that when you're mad at someone in your office or your place of employment, or in your home, and you go to speak to someone completely different. It's not rare to have your mind completely consumed with your anger for the other person while you're talking to someone else. So that you're thinking to yourself, I can't believe he did that. I can't believe she said that. If I would have been thinking correctly, I would have said this to her. Completely consumed with anger and completely cut off from the ability to listen. Listen. James says that this is the kind of filth and wickedness that drowns out the voice of God. And if we're not careful, it will drown out the voice of God even as we meet together this morning. You came in, you're angry, the music was too loud, it wasn't loud enough. I can't believe they would take an offering. No one greeted me at the door. Anger. And suddenly, I'm consumed with my own concerns rather than the Lord's agenda. James says, you must put that away. Doug Moo, one of the commentators, writes, Psychologists will sometimes claim that emotions, since they are a natural product of the personality, cannot truly be controlled, only suppressed or ignored. But James's exhortation here presumes differently. Emotions are the product of the entire person, and by God's grace and the work of the Spirit, the person can be transformed so as to bring emotions in line with God's Word and will. In other words, we have to trade in our earplugs for headphones and our microphones for socks so that we can listen carefully to the Lord's Word. Now, the imagery that James uses is the imagery of changing our clothes. James says, in preparation to hear from God, you have to change out of your dirty clothes. He says, put away. That means change. Put away all filthiness. He uses that same word in chapter 2, verse 2, to describe shabby clothing. The Christian life, by and large, is a, a series of putting off the old and putting on the new. But that's painful. Our little boy hates to change his clothes. If he gets something dirty, especially if he's wearing a stormtrooper shirt, you can bet your bottom dollar, that thing is not coming off without some effort. And the same is true for us. In order to hear from the Lord, we have to, James says, put our dirty clothes of anger and speaking and refusal to listen in the hamper because, he says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. That is simply to say, being angry has never done anyone in this room any favors in terms of following Jesus. You can take that to the bank. Now, somebody objects and says, well, didn't Jesus get angry? I mean, Jesus was angry with the Pharisees in Matthew 23. He yelled at them. Jesus was angry with the people in the temple. John chapter 2, he turned their tables over. My anger is righteous just like Jesus's. Well, let me give you a little exercise the next time you feel compelled to compare your anger to Christ. Ask yourself how long it took you to get angry. And when the answer is not long, you'll know very clearly that your anger, as a matter of fact, is nothing like Christ's. Put away anger. That's preparation. What about posture? James says that we are to receive the word with meekness. That's a great word, meekness. One of the great Greek lexicons that is available talks about this word meekness being not overawed with a sense of my own importance, humility, or meekness. That's why the NIV is probably more correct here when he says uh, the translators translate, humbly receive. I have to put off anger and put on humility. Humility. Now, again, that doesn't seem immediately apparent to us, but if we think for one moment, we'll understand that proud people don't listen, do they? Proud people have no interest in learning. Proud people have no interest in being corrected. Proud people have no interest in being told where they're wrong. Proud people simply won't listen. I had this dramatically illustrated for us yesterday. You know, I'm in sport purgatory after what happened to my calves, so I was trying to get a quick fix, and we turned on a soccer match. And as soon as we turned it on, one of the the, uh, players for the New York Red Bulls scored a goal, and instantly his celebration was this. Now, doesn't that communicate? I am great, and I don't need to listen to you. Proud people don't listen. So James says, put on humility, meekness, Eagerly receive this implanted Word, the same Word that transforms you in Christ, that's causing you to grow in Christ, because it is able to save your souls. We are saved, justified, the moment we believe in Jesus. We are being saved, that's sanctified as we grow in Jesus. And we will be saved, that is glorified that day, When, as the hymn says, I will rise with all the saints, my gaze transfixed on Jesus' face. And do you know what is the agent of that salvation in Christ? Every step of the way, it's His Word. It's His Word that told us to live. It's His Word that tells us how to live. And it's His Word that will tell us on that final day, well done, good and faithful servant. It's His Word. So receive it with humility. It's humility that causes the child to listen intently to her parent. It's humility that causes the student to listen carefully to its professor. It's meekness and humility which causes the apprentice to listen to the master because humility says, I haven't worked it all out. I need to be instructed. Speak, O Lord, and your servant will listen. Anytime you and I are consumed with anger, we hear that question that the Lord spoke over Jonah, do you do well to be angry? And the answer now as it was then is no. Put off anger. Put on humility. Now to just get really practical with you for a moment, if we as a a group of people, as the people of God, receive God's Word individually as we read it in our morning quiet times or devotions, or evening, whenever you do it, Um, if we receive God's Word interpersonally as we prayerfully share God's Word with one another as we ought to be doing, and if we receive God's Word corporately as we gather together, there are implications of this text for each. So that in the morning or in the evening, whenever you sit down to engage with God's Word, here's a really practical step. Don't simply pray for understanding. Pray a prayer of repentance. Confess your anger and bitterness. Confess the filth and the rampant wickedness that clings. And pray for God's help to forsake that so that you can hear Him clearly. As you prayerfully share God's Word with one another and as people speak truth into your lives, be committed in humility to be slow to speak and quick to listen. To Be so angry when a brother or sister comes to you in love and says, i got to tell you, I I just think we might be out of line a little bit here with God's Word. And corporately, as we come together, loved ones, we must come together with a sense of humble expectancy that God is going to speak. Enough asking, God, will you please speak? God, will you please speak? The Lord looks at us and says, "I've I've given you 66 books. I do speak. And one of the ways, friends, that we could do a little bit better at this as a church, and I'm guilty as charged as well, is to understand, and this is a gentle reminder, our services start at 9 and 1045. And they're filled wire to wire with God's Word. We choose songs that are filled with Scripture. We pray prayers. We're trying at least to pray prayers that are filled with Scripture. We preach sermons that don't brush up against Scripture but come from scripture. So one way to receive God's word with humility is to be here on time to encourage one another as we gather as disciples before the word of God. Receive it. But listen, this is only half of it. Because then James transitions, he pivots very quickly To command us not only to receive the Word, but to do the Word. Do you see what he says in verse 22? He says to us, but be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Now if I have any task this morning, any love for you at all as a group of brothers and sisters in Christ, my job is to point you to this danger, this trap, that is very real of self-deception. He says, be doers of the Word. Don't just hear it. Do it. Because if you only hear it, listen. He says, the only person you're fooling is yourself. Deceiving yourselves. Now, you've met people who are self-deceived, as have I. You've met the person who's read a book about the greatest, newest, latest fad diet and comes and says, I'm losing weight. Since when? Since I read the diet. Wasn't that interesting? You know, I just read a tremendous book on how to start my own business. And I want you to know now I'm an entrepreneur. Oh, what's your product? I haven't started that yet, but I read the book. You say, oh, dear brother or sister, I think you're a little bit self-deceived. So how much worse is it for the person who comes before the very words of God, reads them, forgets them, and says, I'm getting along really well. Oh, yeah? Well, how's the Word changing you? Are you more obedient to it now, having read it? Am I more obedient now, having preached it? Are we doers or simply hearers? Now look at the way that James illustrates this. This is beautiful. He says, if you only hear and don't do God's Word, you're like the person who stares intently at a mirror and goes away and not long after forgets what they're like. Now James doesn't mean, James isn't ridiculous. He doesn't mean you've forgotten what you look like. So as I look out at you this morning, I'm really thankful that each and every one of you, some more time than others, spent some time in front of the mirror this morning. You woke up, you combed your hair, some of you even brushed your teeth, ladies put on makeup, you look tremendous. But once you were away from the mirror and you got in your car and you came to the church, other things started to dominate your thinking. You were thinking about saying hello to your friends and family in the lobby, thinking about getting your place in the auditorium. Other concerns choked out the concern that you had for your appearance when you were in front of the mirror. And the next time that you're going to be really concerned about the way that you look is, you guessed it, the next time you're in front of the mirror. That's James' whole point. He's saying, don't just be like the person who's concerned about what they look like when they can see themselves. That translates to this attitude that has reverence for the Bible when it's open. But then when it's closed, other concerns completely choke it out. He's saying it's all too easy to be totally consumed with Scripture, to walk away and never do a thing that it says, And never renew our concern for it until the next sermon, the next Bible study, the next quiet time, the next devotion, the next whatever. Don't be like the man in the mirror. We just went to the Carnegie Science Center uh, last week and we experienced this really cool light show that was set to the music of Michael Jackson. I'm not a huge Michael Jackson fan, but the lyrics to his song Man in the Mirror just stuck with me in light of all that we were studying this morning. You know, where he says, I'm, I'm starting with the man in the mirror. I'm asking him to make a change. Well, that's great. But what really counts, as much as, or maybe even more than, the man in the mirror is the man in the marketplace, the woman in the home, the woman in the school, the man of business, the student in class. The person walking through the crucible of life, that's when. That's when your seriousness about following Jesus shows forth. Friends, let's just bring it down. It is not enough simply to hear that Jesus is the Savior for sinners. You actually have to trust him. It is not enough to read in the Bible that God commands us to flee from sexual immorality. You must actually forsake lust. It is not enough to be told from Scripture that God wants His people, that He has caused to be born again, to go out into their communities and reach the lost. You have to speak to people. And the danger of routinely coming underneath the voice of God through His Word is that if we're hearers only, it doesn't take long for us to become completely inoculated to His voice. Friends, I tell you in total love, and humility. That what we have before us is not a suggestion. What we have open on our laps is not good advice. When we open the Scriptures, we don't even... Listen, we're not, we're not discovering really kind of nice, quotes, life principles. We are hearing the eternal king issue his decrees to his humble and thankful and loving subjects. This is not a light thing. The issues of life and death hinge on the way in which you and I listen now i understand fully that this is a difficult teaching and having been a pastor for about a decade here's what i've come to understand it's almost it's almost automatic that when Words like these are read out and, pre- and preached and God's people begin to really engage and, and wrestle and the Spirit moves in our hearts. The people who are soundly converted and have a deep desire to walk in righteousness with Jesus, albeit, albeit imperfectly, are the ones who are most unhinged by these kinds of words. You're here this morning and you, you hear James very black and white, in your face, kind of, I love you, but are you a hearer or a doer? What, you know, what's the thing? If your heart is troubled, let me tell you, if your desire this morning is to follow Jesus and to obey Jesus and to receive His Word as a treasure and to live differently in light of it, even when you stumble and fall, you want to get back up and keep moving. If that's your desire, listen. That is one of the most telltale signs of life. But see, the opposite is very often true as well. The people who are wounded, troubled, are the ones typically who are on the right track. Meanwhile, those who are hearers only, and have been hearers only for quite some time, sort of skate on with ease. I want you to understand, there will be no mere hearers in God's kingdom. There will only be those who have heard the call of the Gospel, believe, I am the Savior. Only those who have heard that word and believe, and then out of gratitude for having heard and believed, say, speak, Lord. Tell me what you would have me to do. Those are the subjects of the King. I'm not trying to be unkind. I'm not trying to ruin your morning. I'm not trying to upset your family. This authority comes not from me, but from the very words of God. Unless we think, even for a moment, that somehow Jesus and James aren't on the same page. Here again, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Wise, foolish. Death, life. Hearing, doing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you love us enough to tell us the truth that your word comes to us with correcting power that the word of the gospel in Christ is not only the agent of our new birth, but the agent of our growth. We thank You that for every one of Your born-again children, You've placed within us the implanted Word, a desire to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger and to, to hear from You and then to obey You as we've heard. Lord, we pray, we beg, that you would save us from being a group of people who've made a decision devoid of devotion, but that we would be disciples who trust in, love, and obey the Lord Christ. Simply put, Father, we want to be doers and not hearers only. We pray that you would deal with each of us individually as we Meditate on this reality. That you would have your way with us and make us more like your Son who heard and obeyed your every word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.